especially because we're celebrating a, a special occasion today, and that is the commissioning of two women in our church, Anna Fu and Shapri Lo Maglio, to a new role in our community, which we're calling the Shepherdess. A joyous occasion and an important one. And so for that reason, we're taking a quick break from our ongoing series on the vision and mission of our church. And today we're going to look at this passage and consider these themes on leadership and servanthood and greatness. So let's bow our heads in prayer first and let's pray for God's help. Jesus, we pray that you would be present in this time. We thank you already for meeting us in this gathering, in our worship, in our prayers, in our praises. We pray now that you would meet us in your word. We know, Holy Spirit, you have a a unique way of being able to weave through all of our hearts and speak to us in a, in a sort of, that, that was really just meant for me sort of way. We pray that that would be the testimony of many people here today because of your work, because of your word. So make this story and this passage come alive, your living word. Pierce our hearts, change our lives, encourage us. We pray all these things with hope in the great name of Jesus. Amen. Years ago, I knew a young ministry leader who wanted to be great. He longed for people to know his name. And so he had a habit of taking credit for every success, while being very quick to pass blame for any ministry failures. His ideas he was convinced, were always the best ones. He loved receiving compliments, who doesn't, but was also defensive toward any kind of criticism. It's both frustrating and tragic, even for me now, to think about how much he refused to share the limelight and how he devalued the gifts of those around him, just totally blind to the ways their strengths actually complemented his weaknesses. He was preoccupied with his public reputation, and in his opinion, it was pretty great. I imagine this young leader would have resonated with James and John's request. These were two of Jesus's Twelve disciples, and they, along with the Apostle Peter, were also among Jesus' closest friends. We want you to do whatever we ask, they asked Jesus. Their arrogance is jarring to us. But, you know, when you're driven by self-promotion... You begin to believe and think that everyone exists to serve you, even your master and mentor, even God himself. When you're swallowed up by ambition, sometimes you don't even realize the stupid things you say or the ugly things in your heart. But true to form, Jesus is so gracious. In his response. What do you want me to do for you? 
he replies. Jesus is gentle when we are rude and self-seeking. Jesus is always kind when we least deserve it. Let one of us sit at your right and the other one at your left in your glory, they reply. Their imaginations, of course, are captivated with Jesus' royal throne. You see, this conversation is taking place as they are on a journey to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the Jewish capital city, the royal city. Surely their moment has arrived when Jesus finally ascends to political glory, they think. They worked on his campaign, promoted his name. Now they are ready to ride the limo and sit in big chairs. They were sure that honor and power were rightfully theirs. They didn't get it, and neither do we. Jesus is a king of a different sort. His coronation would come by an execution on a Roman cross. His way of leadership will look like loss. So Jesus replies, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Cup, baptism. Jesus is talking about the proverbial cup of suffering, being plunged into the river of redemptive pain. You see, in Jesus' kingdom, the way up is the way down. This king would die and wear thorns for his crown. Do you want to be a leader alongside this king? Do you want to be great? Drink that cup. Get baptized in those waters. Sit in that seat. We can. We can, they answered. Of course. We have the overconfidence of addicts. We're stuck in our selfish ambition, slaves to our lust for glory, for respect, for applause. Are we not? Are we not? Recently, I watched the cartoon classic, The Lion King, with my kids, Hakuna Matata, they were confused, I can tell you, by the motives of that mean lion, Scar, who conspired to make himself king by killing his very own brother, lying to his nephew, uh, forming an alliance with 
ravenous hyenas and then eating everything in the prairie land until there was no food left. Why does everyone want to be king? My two oldest kids kept asking. So we talked about how good kings serve their people, but bad kings serve themselves. We also talked about how we all want to be the latter, not the former. Even young Simba, after all, the heir apparent, carried out that vision in his heart, this vision of kingship as he sang, no one saying do this, no one saying be there, no one saying stop that, no one saying see here, free to run around all day, free to do it all my way, oh, I just can't wait to be king. And it's the song of our hearts, every one of us, isn't it? We'll admit it if we're honest. Whether if we're young or old, or whether if we have a lot or we have only a little. Whether if we serve as students or high-ranking officials, leaders, or self-proclaimed nobodies, we are slaves, are we not, to our lust for self-service, for greatness, for applause. It's, it's the default disposition of the human heart. It's also the default disposition of our surrounding culture. That's why it's so hard to detect and cure. Pastor and author Scott Sauls, I think, provides loads of insight when he points out the deep difference between American and biblical notions of leadership, power, and greatness. Here's what he writes in his book, From Weakness to Strength. In America, credentials qualify a person to lead. In Jesus, the cheap qualification is character. In America, what matters most are the results we produce. In Jesus, what matters most are the people we are becoming. In America, success is measured by material accumulation, power, and the positions we hold. In Jesus, success is measured by material generosity, humility, and the people whom we serve. In America, it is shameful to come in last and laudable to come in first. In Jesus, the first will be last and the last will be first. In America, leaders make a name for themselves to become famous and sometimes treat Jesus as a means to that end. In Jesus, leaders make his name famous and treat their own positions, abilities, and influence as a means to that end. In America, leaders crave recognition and credit. In Jesus, leaders think less of themselves and give credit to others. In America, leaders compare and compete so they will flourish. In Jesus, leaders sacrifice and serve so others will flourish. In America, leadership always means my glory and happiness at your expense. In Jesus, leadership always means your growth and wholeness at my expense. In America, the strong and powerful rise to the top. In Jesus, the meek inherit the earth. 
Jesus points us to a better way, a radically different way of seeking and using power. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Here is a call to lead and to live like a servant and slave. These words revolutionize and redefine the notion of greatness itself. Servant, slave? The language sounds strange to our ears at first, but upon reflection, I think it's a vision that we all desperately long for. You see, true greatness is putting others first. True greatness is loving behind the scenes, even when you get no credit, and even when no one knows your name. True greatness means allowing God to use and allowing other people to see our weaknesses and our wounds. After all, as Johnny Erickson Tata once wrote, the leaders God chooses are often more broken than strong, more damaged than a whole, more troubled than secure. True greatness means joyfully recognizing that you, that we have no power to save. It means on a regular basis, you embrace the confession of John the Baptist, I am not the Christ, but I know one who is. True greatness means recognizing our utter dependency upon God's grace, even in our successes. As it says in Isaiah 26, 12, all that we have accomplished, you have done for us. True greatness doesn't mean pretending you don't have any gifts or skills or experience and knowledge, things God has given you. But it does mean using your gifts, skills, and experience to lift others up. Being a servant like this means repurposing your creative power towards someone else's benefit rather than your own. True greatness means being willing to labor in obscurity. Spending ourselves on those who perhaps have no name. It means paying attention to what God is doing among the faces, the lives, and the stories, and the names right in front of you, never looking past them. And true greatness doesn't manipulate or spin or defend our way out of criticism. Instead, true greatness makes us quick to take responsibility for our failures. True greatness understands that our public good deeds never outweigh, justify, or atone for our private bad deeds. Repentance, therefore, is their habit and the cultivation of character our primary focus. 
because we are never greater than what we are behind closed doors. Do we want to be truly great as Jesus defines and redefines greatness? And the greatest news of all that we find here is that Jesus also gives us the power to change, to become like this. He says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was one who came to give, not to get. One who came as a servant. The the greatest one of all, high and lifted up, a slave. We're called to be like him. But see, Jesus isn't just offering himself as an example, though he is that. He's also offering himself as our liberator. Ransom. That's the language of slavery and release, isn't it? He gave his life as a ransom for many. That is, Jesus paid for all our nasty, self-seeking pursuits of greatness. He died in our place. His life was a ransom price. Jesus sets us free from our addiction to ourselves. From our slavery to our lust to sit in seats of glory and recognition and honor. You see, and then here is a secret to Christ's kingdom. When we assume the posture of a servant slave, loving as we've been loved, binding ourselves to the needs and the destiny of others, when we love like him, This is when, in fact, we are most free. Jesus sets us free. He makes us a ransomed people. Freed to love at last. He makes us a loved people, a freed people. Jesus changes our hearts. He really really does. As you might have guessed, that leader I described at the beginning was me. Is me. Which, of course, to even say, I wish it were harder to believe. But you know me. You know me. And I know me. Works in progress. After all, the inner lust for glory dies hard, doesn't it? I'm here to struggle together with you. And yet this is what we have for hope. A a hope for a different way of seeking greatness, a different way of leading and loving. You find it in verse 39. You see, as I pondered this passage this past week, I found this here to be a lightning bolt of hope. You will drink the cup, Jesus said. 
and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. You will. You see, one day, they're going to get it. James and John, for all their foolishness on this occasion, one day, within a few decades of this day, they lay down their lives like their servant savior. According to church tradition, James was martyred for his faith in Christ. The apostle John was sent to the island of Patmos, a prison colony. They finished their lives as servants, as slaves of all. Dear friends, if they can learn and change, maybe I can too. So we don't despair. God is on the move in my heart, in yours, in this church. See, this is an invitation to grace to get this right. An invitation to grace to, to me, uh, to Yancey and Steve. Uh, to, it extends to Anna and to Shapri on this special occasion and to our entire church. Jesus came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So will we serve like him? Will we seek greatness as defined and redefined by him? Will we, according to his cross and resurrection, seek to be truly truly great. Let's pray. We ask that we would, you would do this supernatural work in our midst. We need your help. We need your kindness. We need your spirit.